Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone, and today we are in week 44 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today, I'm going to be discussing with you questions 113 through 115. And the questions this week deal with the 10th commandment and really uh, how we summarize the role that these commandments play in our lives as believers. So first thing we need to do is we need to read this final, this 10th commandment, and we're going to do so by looking at Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 21, where we read this, And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now Thomas Watson is... Uh, one of those Puritan uh, divines who has written on the Ten Commandments, and he says of this particular commandment, he says, It is lawful to use the world and to desire as much of it as may keep us from poverty, but all the danger comes when the world gets into our heart. Now, I think Thomas Watson is right, and he's right because he's understanding this this pull for covetousness as it comes from the heart and is explained in the Scriptures. Uh, in the New Testament, there are two Greek words used to help us understand the nature of this covetousness. The first is the word pleonexia, and it means the state of always desiring to have more. It is a type of greediness that really has no end. It's this desire for more that is insatiable. No matter how rich a person becomes, no matter how much food, no matter how much land, no matter how much pleasure this person has, he will always or she will always want and long for and desire for more. He's like the the, the rich man, the rich fool who uh, had all that he needed, and instead of giving it away, he, he built it for himself bigger barns so that he could store everything up and so that he could live the rest of his life at ease. And, and Jesus said about this particular man, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, right? That's the pleonexia, the, the longing and, and desire to always have more. And then there's another term that's used in the New Testament, philarguria, and it signifies not just a, uh, I guess a desire for the things of the world, but a love for those things, a ravenous love for the things of the world, especially money. So this second word is even stronger than the first. It's this ravenous pursuit to be satisfied by the things of the world, even so much as to be defined by and to find our identity in the things of the world. It's never believing that you have enough. It's, it's like a sailor adrift at sea who begins to drink salt water to quench his thirst. This covetous person will continue to drink even though his thirst is never quenched, and eventually his drinking will lead to death because he's found his identity in drinking this water that can never satisfy. And so when you get these two words and you bring them together, uh, it brings to mind exactly what Thomas Watson referred to. Covetousness is not simply a desire for more of what the world offers. It's also a love for the world itself. And that's the real danger. It's when the, the longing for the world gets into the heart and it defines us. And so that, that's a definition of covetousness. And God, in this particular command, this final command, is prohibiting that. He's prohibiting covetousness because a covetousness is really an idolatry of stuff. 
Covetousness is about loving and desiring what you don't have, and it causes us to overlook and be thankless for what we do have. And our questions this week are going to help us come to terms with the fact that whether we want to admit it or not, coveting is a problem for us, and we need some help if we hope to live with the contentment and heart that, and life that God requires of us. So let's look at question 113, and then let's talk about that a little bit. Number 113, what is God's will for you in the 10th commandment? And here's the answer, that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in my heart. See, that's getting at this idea that we should be content with God's design, God's direction, and God's word. The second half of the answer is, rather, with all my heart, I should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. So Heidelberg answers the question by pointing out that covetousness is first and foremost contrary to the commands of God. It is to desire what God forbids, and therefore the prohibition against coveting is truly aimed at our being content with what God has revealed to us and how God has blessed us. So if covetousness is the problem, and it is, then contentment in the provision of God through Christ is the goal. And I think Jesus is trying to help us understand the connection between these two things, covetousness being the problem, contentment being the goal. Uh, When Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, he says, "'Take care and be on guard against all covetousness,' for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So there's two things going on there. There's There's the command, the warning about covetousness, but then there's also this identity shaping reality that our life does not consist in stuff. But let's take that and break it down a little bit. Jesus says first, be on guard against all covetousness. Be on guard. It's almost as if these things are going to sneak up on us. Be on guard. Be aware of this. Don't overlook this fact. Look over your shoulder for this particular sin. This thing is going to sneak up on you, and that's exactly what happens. We, We don't naturally recognize that we have a problem with covetousness. We just desire things left and right. I mean, we know that covetousness is a problem. We know that materialism is a problem, but we never assume that they are a problem for us. I mean, when is the last time you confessed to coveting? I've been in ministry for almost 20 years, and I can't tell you the last time. I don't know if there ever has been a time when someone came up to me and said, Pastor, I need help with this particular issue. It's a common issue for me. It's a common issue for everybody. I can't stop coveting. And yet, we do it constantly. We just don't think it's a problem for us. But then Jesus went on and said, not only do we need to be on guard against this thing that can creep up into our hearts, but we also need to understand that our life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And that's materialism, right? That's, that's assuming and, and, and seeing and, and trusting that your identity is formed and, and uh, is made up of life really is about the things that we can have, the things that we can experience, the things that we can own, the things that we can purchase. And, and materialism is this tendency to consider material possessions and physical comforts more important than our spiritual life, our spiritual values. Materialism is this inordinate desire and dependence upon material things. And Jesus is referring to both covetousness and materialism in this one verse. And when you put these things together, the reason why this is so important is when you put these two things together, you have a type of idolatry that is very powerful. And this matters for us today 
Because I would argue that in many ways, this type of powerful, covetous materialism has become the heartbeat of our American culture. Some time ago, I came across an article on Huffington Post about how materialism is redefining the American dream. Here's a quote from that particular article. It said, The American dream is becoming more and more materialistic. I guess it has always been a bit materialistic, but when I look at America today, I see a nation obsessed with shopping and buying unnecessary products. Previously, people aspired to have a nice house in the suburbs with a couple of cars. Now, there is no end to the products that people want. They want the latest iPhone. They want that expensive car. They want that designer bag. And the list is endless. The American dream revolves around luxury goods for most people. As Ellen Goodman put it, normal is getting dressed in clothes that you buy for work and driving through traffic in a car that you are still paying for in order to get to the job you need to pay for the clothes in the car and the house you leave vacant all day just so that you can afford to live in it. The quote continues, shopping is not a problem on its own. It's the obsessive accumulation of unnecessary products along with the hope that buying a Chanel bag will somehow make you happier. That's what's problematic. The things we often own often end up owning us. And that's what's happened to the the American dream. Now, I couldn't agree more with how American culture has just been shaped by this materialism. But the Bible's going to say, not only is this materialism, this is covetousness. And it's not simply become a way of life. In many cases, it's become the meaning of life for many Americans. The type of covetousness and materialism that Jesus warns us against has become the very heartbeat of the culture that we live in. Think about it like this. When was the last time you thought about covetousness? I mean, when was the last time you stopped to think about your own covetousness? When's the last time you stopped to think about how easy it is for you to covet? The truth is we don't often think about it. We just do it. It's it's a reflex in our hearts. We're driving down the road and we see someone's shiny new vehicle and the longing in our heart leaps into action and we think, I wish I had a truck like that. That's covetousness. We go to have dinner at a friend's house and we see their new larger TV or you know their new piece of furniture or their new table arrangement or, or whatever the case might have been. And we say, ah, I wish I had that. I want something like that. I want that new TV. We begin to scroll through our Facebook feed, and we notice that an old friend is on a family vacation to Disney World, and we think, you know, why can't I afford a vacation like that? And we begin to long and desire for it. We catch a glimpse of our neighbor's beautiful wife, right, going right back to the particular commandment. We we, we catch a glimpse of of, of a beautiful individual, or, or we catch a glimpse of someone else. Maybe it's in a magazine or on a television show, and we think, why couldn't I have married someone like that? Covetousness is a type of sin that blinds us to its own reality, and we convince ourselves that it's not a problem. And that's why Jesus tells us that we need to be on guard against it. And not only that, he tells us not just to to be on guard against it, but to understand that life is not about stuff. Life is ultimately about relating to God. It's about having a relationship to God and being content in that relationship to God because through Christ, God has given us everything we need and he has supplied all of those needs according to his riches. 
Now, that's just the first question. What about the second question? Question 114, can those converted to God always obey these commandments perfectly? And the answer is no. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. Okay, now that we've come to the final commandment, we need to do some hard thinking about what role these Ten Commandments play in our lives as followers of Christ. We know that salvation is not the result of our works. It is not earned through moral conformity or personal merit. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. God doesn't love us and accept us because we have made ourselves lovely and acceptable through our law-keeping. He loves us and accepts us on the basis of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. We receive salvation by faith, by trusting in and believing the good news of Christ's identity as the Son of God, who lived a sinless life and died in the place of sinners as our substitute. He kept the law perfectly where we did not. Indeed, even now we cannot, but that doesn't keep us from striving to live according to our Father's commands. We don't obey the commandments in order to earn God's forgiveness, but now that we have received the forgiveness of sins by faith, we strive to obey His commands out of gratitude and love. Now, question 115. Why then does God so strictly enjoin upon us the Ten Commandments, since in this life no one can keep them? Now, that whole phrase, enjoin upon us, why does God... Um, why does God preach so boldly in the Scriptures the Ten Commandments, knowing that we can't keep them? Right? Well, first, here's the answer. First, so that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly to look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. And then second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, which is perfection. Now I'm going to try to summarize this in two simple paragraphs. As we grow in our relationship with God through Christ, two things happen. We will come to know and see and hopefully, by God's grace, repent more and more of our sin. And we will also strive to become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Now, that, that's the goal of our redemption, to live every day growing in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us, freedom from sin, freedom from sinfulness, freedom from temptation, and at the same time to become more and more like Jesus. That's why these commandments still matter. No, we don't save ourselves by our obedience to them. We're saved by God's grace, by trusting in Christ and what he's accomplished for us on the cross. But these commandments still guide us. They still help us to understand that our greatest enemy in this life is our own sinful hearts. And they guide us to appreciate that the greatest gift we have is Jesus and what he accomplished for us on the cross. And then they also guide us to see that God's way is best. And by the Spirit's work in us, we learn to walk in this world on that narrow path that leads to life. And that narrow path is a path of obedience, obedience to the revealed will of God. Now, there's a whole lot more that can be said about this, and we'll continue to study this. Next week, uh, we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 45 and questions 116 through 119, and we're going to move on from the Ten Commandments and begin to discuss prayer. Actually, we're going to learn about what prayer is, how we are to pray, and why we should even do it. So I hope you'll join me for that discussion next week as we look at prayer.
If you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBCWiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cornerstone Wiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play or whatever your podcast catcher is so you can stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.